Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses for an audience of real entrepreneurs who are building their businesses. Um, usually, I hate to say it, I don't spend much time talking to the guests about the product. I care more about the business. For some reason, I've gotten it in my head that it's more interesting to find out how an entrepreneur got her her product market fit or found her customers or or hired or and so on or why they sold it. Um, I think that's there's a universal set of lessons that come from that. I have been, though, in this uh, case, talking to Vivian Shen, the founder of Juni, about her product like the whole time before we even started doing this interview. I didn't spend much time asking about her revenue. I didn't spend much time asking her about customers and getting information about how she got here. And the reason is that what Juni does is it's it's a platform where kids can get one-on-one -on -one help with an instructor in addition to other online help. And I've just been fascinated by the options that are emerging for education. I used to complain that going to school sucked. People used to say, well, this is what it is. Stop putting them down and tell us what else to do. And truthfully, I didn't think that online would be a viable option for younger kids. As soon as the pandemic hit, all these different options that I didn't know existed both flourished and became more more prominent. And so I started to be aware of them. And I realized that there are now more options. If we hated school growing up, we don't have to pass that on to our kids. We can find other options for them. And what Juni does is it says these options don't have to be your kid talking to an iPad. doesn't have to be your kid in a room full of strangers that they don't know on Zoom. It could be a one-on-one -on -one interaction with a teacher that gets their, their point of view and, and teaches them based on the way that they like to learn. And this would have seemed like an interesting, nice idea years ago, but I feel that uh, especially now after the COVID pandemic with schools being shut for about a year, that now people are starting to see this makes sense and being and they're willing to put their kids into programs like this. And I was talking to Vivian Chen about maybe getting my son in and how that would work. All right, we're gonna find out um, not just about the product, how she got here, how difficult it was to progressed in a world where people didn't think this was possible. But um, I'm going to find out also about like what where she came up with the idea, how she got her customers and all the usual stuff. And we could do it thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first, if you're hosting a website, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. The second, if you need email marketing done right, I'm going to tell you to go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. And I'll explain later why they're both great fits for you. But first, Vivian, good to have you here. Andrew, really excited to be here as well. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, let's go into business right away and then we'll get into product. What, uh, what's your revenue? Give me a sense of how big you are. Yeah. So unfortunately you can't share the exact numbers, but we grew, uh, over 200% in the last year and it's been a really exciting time for the company. Obviously COVID has accelerated things, but we were growing around that clip prior as well. Where were you before? You were a million dollars before over a million dollars before COVID? Uh, I would say before COVID in the, the low, low millions, uh, low millions and, and then it you doubled. Know, uh, quite, yeah, quite different yeah, now. So then if you were already doubling before, and then you doubled after kids were sent home and parents went online to look for other options, why didn't you see an even bigger increase? It's a good question. I mean, I, you know, I, I think there was a lot going on in the market, but we, we grew ahead of the market pace for sure. And um, at the same time, I think there's different options for different people, right? There's a ton of other products that 
work really well for certain families and we work really well for, for others. Um, I think that, uh, you know, you'll see, you'll see that during COVID, a lot of different companies grew really quickly and others were unfortunately not able to. And so we were really yeah. lucky to be part of, part of that first pack. Um, and, you know, scaling was a challenge that, that we uh, rose to, but definitely could have also done, done a little more too. Yeah, that is a challenge, right? That you can't just add more students into an existing class the way that OutSchool could, for example. You need one-on-one, um, and, and if it's one-on-one, you need a lot more vetting. You need a lot more. Um, uh, you, you need a lot more teachers to do this. Let me see if I understand it. I think that I've had trouble reading your website and understanding what would come with these packages. It seems like every package comes with one session per week or four per month with a, with an in-person teacher and then extra sessions that are not with an in-person teacher. Is that right? Uh, so slightly different. Uh, the different packages are actually structured a little bit more around the number of subjects that you take. Uh, but the, the common base package is one private class per week. That's 50 minutes. And then you also get homework, access to our events, our platform uh, for you know students to create all of their projects and fun stuff, which I can get into. And then you can add additional sessions onto that after afterwards as well. So typically the you know, there are some families who will do three, six sessions a week with us um, and, you know, really kind of go all in. A lot of these homeschooler types um, who really believe that you can work one-on-one with an instructor and have that be more effective than a few hours in a classroom with, with 30 kids or so. Um, and so those are the folks who will do those additional sessions. What do you think the vision is for the future of education? Is it, and we'll get into how you got here, but is it that you see that kids will have homeschooling done by remote teachers and remote classes, and they'll kind of pick and choose different things. So maybe they might do an out school for, for genealogy because that's more of a nice to have for a second grader, but they'll do reading and math with Junie because that's something that they want more direct access and more, more customized learning and do it all from home or from pods. Or what do you think? Exactly. I think it's going to be really exciting because it's going to be a bit of a hodgepodge. Um, I think a lot about uh, actually the fitness industry and how there's kind of something for everyone and people also piece together their own uh, routine that works out really well for them. So they'll do some in-person, some remote, uh, you know, folks obviously have Pelotons now, uh, but it's just very different. And so I think education is going the same way where you have kind of the discovery phase of certain areas where you just want to get kids excited, inspired to pursue something a little bit more. And then you have that pursuit phase where you really want to dig deep somewhere, uh, accelerate, and then hopefully actually some sort of apex, right? And so I think the reality is that a lot of parents are thinking about, okay, how do I get my kid into a great university or into a career down the line, even if they're five years old? And so we we understand the constraints of the real world to a certain extent, but really for us, it's about helping every student achieve their best future, which is a combination of discovering the right thing for them. And then also getting to accelerate along that path and really become uh, excellent at, at that. And so that's why we've gone really deep into certain subject areas instead of trying to hit everything out there in the universe, because I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of amazing products that help um, folks do that already. You but focused on, we on reading, more. you focused on English, which includes reading and writing, you focused on math, and then also coding. But do you think longer term that, do you imagine that it's going to, 
I guess your product could fit in anywhere. A kid could go to school and then and have a formal school education, but then if they're not really doing well in math or if they're doing really well and they want more math, they could come home and sign up for one of your classes. And at the end of the day, they might do one of your classes and then earn some video time. At the same time, it could be somebody who's doing homeschooling who might, as part of their homeschooling, be doing a junior class. But do you have a vision for where you think things will shake out? Or are you just saying, it doesn't matter where they shake out. We just want to be wherever they are. Uh, to a certain extent, yes, that's the case. I mean, there's a lot of folks for whom the reality of going to a public school in their local area is something that will never change. There are some folks who are uh, you know, lucky enough to be able to set up a micro school or something with their local neighborhood. It's amazing. And we want to enable all of those experiences. For us, it's really that out of school experience. So where are you learning the things that are important for real life? Where are you learning the things that are, you know, foundational skills for kids, you know, problem solving, analytical thinking, all of that good stuff. Where does that come in down the line? Um, I think, unfortunately, because schools have to work with such large groups of students, they're not able to customize things for their students. And they're also not always able to create that relationship. I'm sure that you've had a teacher in your life who has just change the way that you look at something. Um, and, and those kind of moments are, are very tough to have in, in certain situations. So we're here to kind of enable that inspiration and uh, mentorship for students. You know, truthfully, I've had more teachers who did not get me that if you're talking about, I'm sure you've had that one teacher, I really have to rack my brain to find them. And as I try to do it, my mind goes to all the <laughs> teachers who didn't get me, you know, who picked out, who picked out such bad books for my personality type that I thought I hated reading. And then when I discovered my own, I realized I hate their reading. And now I have to suffer through bad grades with the school, What partially because I'm going to spend a lot of time reading the books that matter to me. Um, you found yeah. out about this when you got to China and you saw what they did in China. How'd you end up in China? Yeah. So at the last startup that I worked at, I actually was um, part of our product launch in China. So working cross-border with our team in Shanghai and San Francisco. And uh, when I was there, there was this company that was really blowing up uh, called VIP Kid. And they were just, I want to say, like one of the hottest companies in the space at the time. They just raised some crazy uh, you know, later stage funding round. Uh, but I think what really struck me was that they were able to scale a one-on-one -on -one experience and create something really amazing for the students and also create a really big business about that, that, that was really magical. And what was it that they were doing beyond, were they focused on one topic? Were they doing all topics with remote teachers? Very specific, actually English only at the time, because that's such a huge market in China specifically. Um, and particularly they were recruiting teachers here in the U.S. to teach remotely in China. So mm. kind of got that American accent, also exposure to uh, American culture. And then uh, at the same time, one of the big innovations that they did, which doesn't seem very innovative at the time, but they weren't structured as tutoring. So it went along a very set curriculum path, which is actually really big. Uh, so for us, one of the reasons why we've been able to scale the quality is because we developed the curriculum. We actually set up the entire platform so that it's really easy for the teachers. And uh, that's very different from traditional tutoring, right? Where the tutor kind of has to learn something new every time in order to teach it. Uh, we're kind of setting up everything to help them succeed. And then the instructors are really there to you know, be the mentor, be that face that helps the student 
feel inspired, um, feel like this is somebody who's on their side, also challenges them when needed. That's actually a big difference there. So they they also had a curriculum, but they focused on English exactly. and their innovation was, what if we get American teachers to teach in China? Boy, that that's surprising because of I would think that it would be too expensive, not just because Americans tend to charge more um, on an, a national stage, but also because they would have to work rough hours, right? And I imagine they'd want to be compensated for that. But was it an expensive uh, program for, for kids whose parents had a lot of money or, or more mainstream? Uh, surprisingly, no. So uh, so there's actually a ton of consumers in China who, who both have a lot of money to spend, but also invest a ton in education. Um, and so price sensitivity is actually very different there for, for this product, um, for this space in general. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, you had a uh, excess supply of teachers in the U.S. who were really undercompensated and living in areas uh, where you know the average teacher salary was probably less than 50k a year, and so that kind of that difference made the uh, economics work for for them. To be fair, I mean, I don't think they're they were looking at margins per se; like they were looking more at top line revenue uh, at the time, but you know, that they were still able to scale the economics that way as well. The company that you were with, was it Operator? Yes. What is Operator? Yeah, so uh, it was uh, kind of this this era where, um, you know, a lot of companies were moving online, but the advent of, of Amazon was, was looming and there was this sentiment that um, Amazon wasn't able to create the best personalized recommendations for you as a shopper. And so Operator was a... AI-based e-commerce uh, app that really helped you connect with a person who would help basically be your personal shopper, and they were uh, supported by, you know, uh, AI. And so, finally, it it ended up being sort of similar to Juni because you know we're pairing people with uh, instructors, but at Operator we're pairing people with personal shoppers. So it was um, it was a it was just amazing to be a part of that experience and, um, you know, go through all those launches with the team there as well. They raised a ton. I, I'm having trouble finding all these articles about them, but they raised a ton of money back then, right? Had impressive leadership. I didn't realize though, that they'd gone to China. They, they hadn't yet made it in the U S but they were already ready to take on China. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the founder, uh, and the CEO had a ton of business ties to China as well. And, um, I think part of this kind of arbitrage opportunity, uh, there's a lot of products here in the U.S. that people in China wanted to buy but didn't have access to. There was mm-hmm. some um, lift that we could do there. And also a lot of these consumers wanted to work with American shoppers who could, who they could trust. Um, and so, yeah, although we had originally launched here in the U.S., ended up focusing a lot more on China uh, towards the end of my time there. And I guess are they closed now? Operator? I believe that the U app is not uh, in service mm. anymore, but uh, I actually haven't been following if, if the China one is. Uh, they were just so massive that everyone in the chat space was watching everything that they did and um, and feeling like they were going to destroy everyone. Uh, <laughs> I've been curious. About I mean, it was, a, it was a awesome. Honestly, the team was amazing and um, they've all gone on to do to do awesome things. There's actually a, a couple of us ex, uh, ex-operator folks who are founders now. And um, 
I do think that, you know, one of the takeaways that I had going to Juni was focusing very specifically on one. So with Operator, one of the challenges with Scale was that we were trying to service every kind of request. So you could be trying to buy a $5,000 pair of shoes or toilet paper through Operator. And that, uh, those are just such different kinds of products. So that's why I think with Amazon, part of the reason why they're so big is because they just have this ruthless prioritization of, you know, we're going to knock out books, then we're going to knock out this and this and this. And um, I think that was one of our challenges is we tried to do a lot versus when we launched in China, it was very specifically, you know, we're going to look at beauty products and purses because those have, you know, good margins, like, high price points and people, uh, their standardized sizing as well. So I could get more into that another time. But no, that makes sense. You're saying operators saw that they were taking on too much in the US and China, they decided they were gonna go much more focused on the two products that they were most likely to do well with. And you said, we're gonna do the same thing now, Junie. We're not going to do the whole educational system. We're not going to replace your school or give you a whole homeschooling curriculum. We're gonna take the, the two topics or the three topics that matter and spend our time there. And the very first version that you created of it, was it just a spreadsheet or how did you get started? Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. When we started, I went to my old middle school and handed out flyers in the parking lot. Um, and the very first version of the curriculum and product was just one that um, I wrote up on a little doc and you know shared with, with the parents. <laughs> and then we kind of took notes on a Google Doc, did everything over Zoom. And this was before Zoom was cool, I like to say. What, what year was this? Uh, uh, this was in middle of 2017. So okay, that was so the year when we were really kind of prototyping. Middle of 2017. You were both handing out the flyers to your old middle school and you were teaching the kids, right? You personally. Yes, that is and, right. Um, so, but and, and Go ahead. And you were doing this as, what was... What was the offer? Was it I'm going to do online tutoring or was it we're going to we're going to master this class? What was it? It was more the latter. So um, we've never talked about ourselves as tutors because the key thing is that we work with our curriculum and we expect students to progress along that um, along along the learning targets that we have there, frankly. And so the difference, I think, was just that most of the time people were used to doing courses with a group. And so we were here talking about doing a course with an individual and actually you can make more progress or you could also, you know, get extra practice with certain areas where you needed extra support through this model versus with a group class, you're kind of herded through. Um, and so that was a really big difference that I think resonated with, with parents at the time, you know, mm -hmm. if you could get, really high quality instruction with an individual that would actually be more effective than spending, you know, uh, two hours every day in a group with 30 people. But if parents were already getting their lessons at school, wouldn't they just want a tutor to augment what they already had instead of somebody to say, I've got a whole other track. I'm going to take you through the track. It depends on the subject. So with computer science, mm. it was not in school at all. And, and you so were already we were doing computer to... science from the beginning? Uh, yeah, computer science was the only thing we did for almost two years, actually. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Got and it. So, so now that makes sense. We're not tutors. We're going to get your kid to understand computer science at a time when everyone's saying, uh, learn to code. Got it. And you've got the ability. Were you a, a programming teacher? I'm looking at your background. I think you spent time at McKinsey. I, I, I know, obviously, <laughs> that you were an engineer at Google, but were you somebody who could teach coding? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, studied computer science for undergrad and then, yeah, worked at Google as an engineer. And frankly, the, the main thing that you need to, to teach people with coding is how to problem solve and how to debug things and how to get over hurdles. Um, I think there's, you know, obviously a lot of tactical things that people need to know about, like syntax, like where, where you need an extra semicolon, whatever the case is. But, um, the main thing that a lot of programmers will tell you is that to a certain extent, a lot of the answers are out there on Google, but you have to know what to look for. And you also have to have, be resilient and test a bunch of things until you can break something mm -hmm. or until it doesn't break anymore. And so I focus a lot more on that. And also kind of a lot of the curriculum that I was seeing was rather pedantic. It was kind of like memorize this, um, you know, kind of antiquated thing or like this very low level diagram of how XYZ works. But uh, what, you know, what is very obvious to me now is that kids learn by having tangible projects that they get at the end of, you know, whatever their time was that they spent on something. So we've focused a lot around building a student's portfolio getting their projects into that bank, getting it so that they can kind of work up from creating really simple projects to what we call master projects and helping them feel empowered that way. Like there's nothing better than saying I built this and, you know, here it is world. And so we focus a lot more on that um, and working backwards from a project that you could build in an end state and then figuring out what the building blocks are to get there was more how I did it almost more as an engineer than, than a teacher. And um, I, yeah, I, I did learn a little bit from other folks how to teach well. Um, I'm not, I would not say I personally am the greatest teacher in the world. I don't, uh, I don't pretend to, to be that. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna do first sponsor then I wanna come back and find out how you learned how to teach. And then also yeah. why you decided to go door to door or talk to people in middle school instead of just buying ads on Google. All right, but first, yeah. my first sponsor Vivian is HostGator. In fact. I want to ask you something. I always in the HostGator ad ask my guests, what idea would you have if you could start a new business on HostGator? Let me run one by you. Tell me if this makes sense. I would say somebody should copy your idea of one-on-one -on -one tutoring for a topic that schools aren't addressing. And it doesn't really take that much considering what you did, right? So imagine, you tell me if this makes sense. Imagine somebody hears me and says, I'm going to go to HostGator, hostgator.com slash Mixergy, of course, so I get credit for it. But they say, I'm going to go do that. And I'm going to teach entrepreneurship to kids. And it's going to be one-on-one. -on -one. I teach you about what we have to buy, how we sell it online, and we're going, to, we're going to create the store online. And at the end of this project, you will have sold one thing that you made online, maybe it's to a family member, but you understand the economics of, of online sales. You understand how you have to cater to somebody's needs. You understand how to do some like content writing, right? And then if you do that as a curriculum, then they could expand it and maybe they become the junie of entrepreneurship education. Vivian, you tell me, unmute yourself and tell me what you think of that idea. Amazing idea. Although like I will say that uh, I, I have thought about it myself as well. And I would love for Junie to, to do something like mm. that soon. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's an amazing idea for sure. All right. I'm going to say this to anyone listening, whether you take that idea or any number of other ideas that we've come up with here in the ads for HostGator. And I've got to tell you, Vivian, I feel like the ads for HostGator have become the best ads on the whole freaking uh, site, whether it's that idea or any of the other ones that I've come up with, or of course, any idea that you've got yourself, 
If you need a website for it, go to HostGator. If you go to HostGator, you get inexpensive hosting that just works from a company you can count on. There no shenanigans from it. You can see how well they've hosted my site for years and years and years. All you have to do is go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy to get started quickly. And if you use that slash Mixergy, yeah, you get credit. But more importantly, you'll get their lowest price. HostGator.com slash Mixergy. Hey, I'm always interested in what you what you know about teaching and what you've learned. What are some, I, I used to teach at Dale Carnegie, and I loved watching the the process from behind the scenes. What did, what did you learn about teaching? I mean, so, so I've learned so much from the kids that I work with on how to communicate with people, how to motivate them, how not to motivate them. Uh, it's been really, uh, it's been very humbling, honestly, because kids they will tell you everything that is on their minds. <laughs> and, uh, like they'll say, know, this is stupid. Yeah. When you're they, trying they earnestly. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, I don't care if you think you're fancy or if you're older than me or whatever the case is, like I, I have no filter. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I think the main thing that, that I learned is, is to also how to balance kind of being their friend, but also challenging them and being their coach. I think that's one of the hardest lines to, to walk in a certain extent as a, as a teacher, right? Because, you know, there's always kind of like that cool teacher that maybe lets people, uh, you know, uh, right. get away with XYZ or something like that. And then there's a the very strict teacher. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, right. I'm, I'm, I agree with you. And, and I feel like that's been understood with in-person classes and it's hard, but at least with in-person classes, people aren't just going to stand up and walk out or aren't going to open up another app window, right? With you, how do you keep them focused? How do you, how do you not say, you know, have them watch or click on other things? Uh, you know, it's, first of all, I think it's actually surprisingly easy to tell when somebody is distracted versus not, as I'm sure, you know, now for, from many Zooms <laughs> later. Yep. Uh, and so the, you know, frankly, I think 99% of the kids that we worked with were incredibly, uh, they were just amazing. You know, like they realized that it was really uh, a privilege for them to be learning. They were super self-motivated as well. And you kind of just had to give them a little bit of a push in a certain direction to unblock them. And they kind of, it was like a, a snowball down a mountain. Um, I think for that 1% of kids who just frankly, like ha had a hard time with the online setup, or it was just a bad day, whatever the case is, um, we do some tactics to kind of get them to get the shakies out, jump around a little bit. Sometimes if there's also a session where it's just not, you know, it's not the right time. Like they just had a really tough soccer game, whatever the case is but that that happened before. We'll also call it early and, um, you know, give, give part of a credit back if needed. That's the main thing is like most of the time, you know, pushing, um, to help people get over the hump is important, but sometimes everybody needs a break. And I think that's um, just a, what's the word? It, it's kind of like a relative thing that the teacher needs to suss out. You know, Vivian, I, um, I feel like somebody should be doing the Mixergy style interview with online teachers and just extract some of the techniques that they use to keep things focused and productive. And I could imagine that that as online training for other teachers would be useful as a book, it would be useful for teachers. But I would also suggest that what they learn in keeping kids paying attention would also translate into big speaking gigs and trainings for companies who have to do a lot more training using Zoom, right? We're seeing how effective it is, but it's, it's not something that we yet know or, or have mastered. Yeah, a hundred percent. There's 
so many things where just the physical act of sitting here at the same screen all day, staring at the same thing is, I think it, it physically drains people. And so um, there's a lot of techniques I think that instructors can use for, yeah, kids and adults of all ages to keep them focused. I will say that one thing we have um, that, that I think has made our method a little bit more effective is because we're doing everything one-on-one. -on -one. I think you saw at the beginning of COVID, one of the toughest things was that these school systems were doing kind of 30 person lectures mm -hmm. online. That was essentially like a recorded video. And um, that I think was really, really tough for, yeah. for folks. So breaking things up into kind of smaller pods, um, having breakout rooms, letting kids work together, those are really effective ways to, to, to keep them engaged and kind of break up the monotony. One of the things that I saw that worked was, like you said, taking a bigger class. My kid was in kindergarten, freaking kindergarten. They had to sit down for, I don't know how long. He had more Oof. Zoom meetings than I did, yeah. seriously. Um, uh, he's now in like an outdoor mm -hmm. school, so he's much more active and doesn't have to sit down. But in, in the period before he transitioned to that school, I saw that the teacher would take the kids and break them into smaller groups where she could, if she had three kids or four kids to manage, watch them, give them more feedback. So what you're going for, what you're doing is, is even better in that direction. The other thing that I saw that her do was give them assignments. She'd say, put a blackboard or a whiteboard up behind you. I'm going to say something. Then you go write it. The more you can give people assignments, the less that they have to listen. I feel like the more they absorb. Definitely. Yeah. I think you know, where the great thing about computer science and also how we try to design our math and English curriculum is projects and kind of just like getting your, your hands dirty. Um, and even if you get stuck, like the process of trying to understand why you're stuck or get unstuck is uh, incredibly powerful versus listening to someone tell you how it should be done. And so, mm -hmm. you know, the way we structure our classes is actually in the first you know, five to 10 minutes, they'll, they'll go over homework from the last week, but then they'll learn a new topic and just jump into making, solving problems or doing projects immediately. So the majority of the class time is really for um, kind of like exploration mm -hmm. to a certain extent with a new um, topic. And that's, yeah, that's huge. I, you know, I definitely struggle with a lot of the way stuff is done right now in, in schools where you kind of just memorize things. Like, I don't know if you had to memorize like the types of rocks, like igneous rocks, oh, whatever. The right, kinds of rocks right. Are, I remembered but, it for the uh, just for the test, and then yeah. I was done with it. And I resented school for making me remember yeah. that. It's not me. Exactly, exactly. So that kind of thing, I think, just does not motivate kids. Wouldn't it be so much cooler if you could actually go and you know either physically grab the rocks or see like what which kinds of rocks are better right. for building certain kinds of buildings like sandstone or whatever the case is. There's just so many interesting applications based ways to learn stuff and then kind of work backwards to the building blocks. Um, and so that's what we try to do with computer science because CS is also just a tool, right? Like you can build an app that can do any number of things, but at the end of the day, the CS is just like the, the foundation for, for what you're trying to build in the world. But there's so many applications now with healthcare, biotech, um, you know, even law, a bunch of things. And so I see it as very foundational for learning a lot of different things. All right. Why did you go and hand out flyers one-on-one? -on -one? You could have gone to the school's message board and said, I'm offering to teach. I'm an alumni. Uh, you could have bought some Google ads and seen how many people would have clicked. You could have expanded beyond your local area and I, I don't know, and maybe learn some marketing, but there was a reason why you did it. Why? Trust. I mean, people, you know, 
people want to talk to another person when you don't have a brand yet. Nobody knows who you are. If you can meet someone face-to-face, even if it's over Zoom or in person, there's so much more that you can learn from them too about what is resonating about your product versus not. Um, I think I'm assuming you at some point in your life have done some kind of cold calling or some kind of uh, sales uh, in that regard. And yes, a lot. There, there's nothing like, exactly. There's nothing like trying to communicate something about what you're building for people and having it land flat uh, to, to kind of motivate you to figure out what customers actually want. And so the um, honestly meeting people in person, just huge for, for me to do that. I think uh, probably could have seen some traction with paid ads, um, but yeah. You wanted to see the mother, see your flyer and her look on her face. You wanted to see the dad ask you a question about what does CS or computer science mean? Or is this appropriate for a 12 year old kid? And that's what you were looking for to understand. Okay, I got it. What did you learn in those in those early interactions that you didn't know? Yeah, I mean, actually, one of the biggest questions that folks asked was, um, what do they get at the end of this? So is there like, how many projects Uh, will they have? Will they have a certificate, whatever the case? Um, so, you know, I think they, they want their kids to have fun, but they're still pretty outcomes based. Um, I think the other was obviously who is the teacher, uh, you know, what medium will they meet them in? We're doing everything on zoom at the time. Um, and then there were some that, uh, I think this was a smaller part of the problem, but, you know, and, and as our, our kind of our offering set has grown, um, most of our students start in our beginner classes, but I did also get a number of questions from parents who are like, oh, my kid's actually already been coding for a little bit. Which level should they start out with? That kind of thing. And um, so answering questions yeah. like that just helped me get that objective list down first uh, so I can kind of address all of those too. All right. So you did it. You taught the first class. You're walking them through the um, programming. One of the things that you told our producer you learned was parents want to see what the kids did. That is so important. Um, and so you would give them the Google Doc that you used with the student so that they could see the progress, right? Exactly. Yep. And okay. so we would copy in the projects that they had built so they could visually see it. And the parents could actually play with the project too. So it's usually like a video game or something like that. Um, and there's... I think that's the other thing actually with schools that's always tough is you as a parent probably don't always see what your kids are doing every day or even month. Right. Yeah. Um, And a lot of parents are like, they don't really understand the jargon. They just kind of, they want to see something that's understandable. Mm -hmm. That's like, Oh my God, my, my kid did this. That's amazing. And so projects are very viscerally that way where it's a, it's a video game that they've come up with and the kids get to be super creative and, the kids also take a lot of pride in in what they've done. Um, And so I think that actually ended up being more powerful for us than a certificate or like notes from the instructor, that kind of thing. Um, But if we're able to Mm -hmm. send those on a weekly basis, that's uh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And you know what, this is the type of thing that I feel like schools got so um, stale, so uncreative that they don't think about it. Why wouldn't the school say, you know what, we have all these different systems now, 
to, to interact with parents, even if we don't want every parent coming back and asking us, why are we doing this? Why not that? At least post it up for every parent to see what the kid did that day. Here's a progress report. Here's what we did. If you want to have a conversation with your kid, here are a couple of things you might bring up. We just read this book. Maybe you read the book when you were a kid and you could bring it up. All right. So then you applied for Y Combinator. How did you do? Uh, we did okay. <laughs> so we got into Y Combinator uh, in our first, I, I guess, uh, about six months after the company was founded. Um, okay. And, you yeah. know, when we applied, it was basically still just 40 students and this, these Google Docs. My co-founder actually had um, built our, our first version of the web app that we were using to host our curriculum and all of those different things. Wait, what, as did, well. what did the web app uh, even need to do? I know, still. by the way, this is, this is one of the issues with zoom that there's clearly a lag because, and we both have great internet connections. We, are, we spend our lives online. So it's not that it's just, wow. Online is such a frustration still, but what did the web app do? Yeah, so uh, kind of the curriculum that I had built in uh, the Google Docs, we moved that in. And then we also moved in homework, tracking, uh, notes from the instructor, everything there too, and rescheduling or scheduling classes, which was a big um, pain point because before you kind of just had to do everything over email chains. Um, so all of that was built into the web app, uh, just super MVP, the first ver- first version. And it was still the two of you co- uh, teaching still at the time, two right? Two of us. Two of you. What yeah, do you think and, y, y Combinator liked about you two doing this and how far you got? And what, what were some of the challenges in the, in the, for raising money from them? Yeah. Um, so first of all, huge plug for my co-founder, Ruby. She is just amazing. Um, I, I was the one standing on the sidewalks handing out flyers, but she was the one uh, at home dealing with customer support calls while also <laughs> building this first version of the web app. And I think when we applied to YC, we really were just a team and a little bit of traction. Like we had obviously had real students. We had real people who were willing to pay us for our product, uh, which was huge. But we also were just two people who had a mission and a vision and we were on our path to getting there. I think that is really what they're more looking for. There's a bunch of people who go through YC and they change their idea halfway through or, you know, whatever happens. Uh, but it's more, do you have the tenacity to grab onto something and make it work? Um, and that's really what we wanted to convey uh, in that process. So I, I think they liked it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And beyond raising money, what else did you get from the program? What did they teach you? Yeah. Um, you know, there's just something about the the network and the pace that that you go through there that was really special. Um, the they they really just embody to a certain extent what we look for in junior instructors, which is kind of like tough love when it's needed. It also support helping you get focused um, and also having a community there with you. There's nothing like being around a bunch of people who are also stressed out uh, to to help you know, calm everybody down to a certain extent. And also, um, you know, there's just connections with people that uh, like are, you know, some of our first employees were found through random connections from Y Combinator. There's a lot to the community that um, ended up being really amazing. Did they help you think through how to get more customers? I know that their big emphasis is on growth. Did they give you any advice there that you can share? Uh, yes. Um, so they actually were the first ones to kind of say, Hey, you guys should test out paid. Like, obviously we knew about paid acquisition, but we'd been very organic before that. 
just kind of, you know, either hitting the, the streets to hand out flyers where I could, or a little more growth hacky stuff, like getting on some of these um, online platforms to, to uh, advertise um, for free and, and that kind of thing. But we kind of figured out how to scale a little bit more through, through paid in the program. What worked for you for paid? I'm going through you now some rush to get a sense of what, uh, what's working today. Can you tell me what worked in the early days? What are the early wins? Yeah. Um, you know, Instagram ads still work. Uh, Google search ads also because we're quite a high intent product. They still work as well. Um, our demo for paid acquisition was more the parents. Uh, I've been looking a little bit more into how we can build more of an organic presence, but that was just such a long tail that at the time we, we focused more on, on paid on those channels. looks like uh, Pair VC is sending you some traffic. I guess they're one of your investors. Oh, they are. Yeah, they're amazing. Um, Mar, Mar Hershenson there. Uh, she was actually one of the first Juni parents, uh, completely random connection. Um, but yeah, she, her kids are, were just killing it in the program. And so she was working with us for about a year as a Juni parent, and then we were raising our uh, seed round. And so the, the stars kind of aligned there at the, at the right time. All right. And so you're continuing to do this paid ads are starting to work while you're at Y Combinator. And then at some point you say, we're going to go beyond computer science. How did we know it? Let me take a moment, talk about my second sponsor. And then I want to find out how you knew you were ready instead of focusing on being the, the coding school for kids. All right. My second sponsor is a company called Send In Blue. Anyone who does email marketing knows that it's easy to get started with email marketing software. They start out inexpensively. And if you've been with it long enough that your business has grown, you also know that they just start to jack up the price on you later on. The beauty with Send In Blue is if you use my URL, you'll get to use them for free. As you grow, and you can see this right on the site, you can compare their prices to everyone else. But as you grow, you're never going to get that moment that one of my past guests had where he sent out an email and suddenly for sending out one extra email, his price shot up another $20,000 a month because that's what that, that's what happens. They get you in at an inexpensive price and these email marketing software companies uh, know that later on, they're going to be able to increase the price because it's too hard to move. You're not going to get that with Send in Blue. What you will get is fair pricing from the beginning through the end always. And you're also going to get all the marketing automation tools that you need. You're going to be able to go beyond email to SMS. So you can send out text messages, which were, which are incredibly effective and so much more. If you want to see all the features and get to use it for free right now, all you have to do is go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. And if you don't know about them, go Google them. You're going to see these people have been killing it lately, growing tremendously, and they're available right now to you at sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. When did you decide, Vivian, to add another another subject? Yeah, so it was always the plan for us at Juni to um, teach teach every student everything. Um, and so when we, uh, I, I believe, at the beginning of um, 2020, uh, math was something that a lot of parents had just kept asking for. Um, so we went out with with that first, um, and English was. 
so I actually minored in creative writing. So I'd kind of always nursed the hope that we would be able to do English. And um, that was kind of in the latter half of, of last year as well, because those are just two areas where um, while they are taught in school, they're just so foundational. And so a lot of people wanted extra support in those um, and they've just been a great way for us to uh, work with families even more uh, holistically than, you know, with just computer science. Why not say, you know, we're the computer science company. That's what we do. Code Academy doesn't expand beyond coding to extracurricular activities. They stay focused on programming. What was it that made you decide that this is the best way to grow and that this was the right time to add another another class? Yeah, um, I think the one of the main things is that we've always looked at ourselves as the partner for a parent as they are figuring out their kid's education. And so we can't do that effectively by only offering one subject in, indefinitely. I think we've always done computer science very well, and we intend, we intend to also be the market leader for computer science indefinitely. Uh, but if you really want to be able to support everything that a, a student would want to do, uh, you got to also try other um, areas where students really need to invest their time. So that's, uh, that's the kind of the, the end state vision for us is that we have a lot of options for students to discover new things, but for them to also pursue the things that, that do really matter. I want to get it. You started to mention a little bit about your background. I want to get a little bit more insight into who you are. You told our producer you came from a family that when you were growing up, if you got, I don't remember the exact example, but if you got a 96 out of 100, who was it in your family who said, what happened to the other four points? <laughs> it was my mom. Uh, okay. Shout out to my mom. Uh, and it was a 98 and it was two points. This but, is a literal, uh, this is a true no, story. Think, Just like that. She claims that I'm remembering wrong, but I'm like, I feel like. I was nine, so I couldn't have made it. <laughs> no, you're dead. Uh, no, I mean, they're just incredible. Like they, um, you know, they left China right at the end of the Cultural Revolution. My dad had to be, you know, one of the top 300 physics students in China in order to leave. It's just their story is a lot more incredible than mine in a lot of ways. And so I understand where they were coming from. Obviously, hindsight though, because when you're when you're that age and, you know, all you want to do is hang out with your friends, sometimes it's it's hard to see that perseverance is really critical to lay a good foundation. So, um, yes, I would say that I definitely grew up with parents who had high expectations for me, but, um, you know, now I have high expectations for myself. So it's a it's definitely a double edged sword. <laughs> I wonder why that didn't turn you off. I keep thinking about a friend of mine whose father just kept pushing him to swim faster, to be the top in the swim class, and he hates swimming. I I worry about that. For you, it seems to have helped. It created a, a sense of motivation and strength. Yeah, it really depends on the person. I would not advertise this as the way to do parenting. Um, you know, and, and my parents, by the way, were actually very balanced. Um, I think this was, this was kind of like I had, um, you know, I think they were starting to see signs that I was not as self-motivated as I used to be. And so, mm. uh, the, you know, later on, actually, when I was in high school, I got like a C minus on, a uh, uh, in a math test, math class at my, uh, kind of midpoint check-in. And my dad sat me down and we did every problem in the math textbook because a seamless is failing. 
And, you know, after that, I very distinctly remember, but the following year, um, I was the only kid who got a certain question right in all five sections of that math Mm. class. And the teacher came up to me and specifically called me out. And she also said, there's not a lot of girls in these classes. So I'm really, I wanted to like bring this to you because I, I feel like it's really important for me to tell you this. And so that kind of very delicate line is really important because I wanted to drop down into the lower lane math class and my dad didn't let me and he really pushed me and I, I can't thank him enough for doing that. So it really is a balance. There's some kids who already push themselves so hard that what they need is something different, but I was getting a little bit lazy (laughs) at the time. So it made sense. I hope I'm not pushing for too much as personal, but you keep a gratitude journal too with two bullet points because of this, because well, how did that influence you? And then we'll talk about what the gratitude journal does for you. Yeah. I mean, you can probably tell, but, um, I, I, I have, uh, the highest standards for myself actually of, of anything. And it's, it's always tough. Um, I think to kind of take a step back and celebrate the wins that we have as a team and also for myself, uh, to, to, you know, remember that there is a lot to life as well. And, and life is long. And so the gratitude journal, I think just helps me remember how lucky I am to even be able to work on this company and this problem that I care so much about to be able to work with the people that are really amazing and make it happen. Um, And I think it's just, it's one of those things where there's just so much information overload in the world uh, that it's always good to take even just 15 minutes to yourself with a good cup of coffee and to remember, um, to have perspective. So, but my sense is it's also partially because you're thinking constantly of, I could have done better here. I could have been stronger there. And this is a way of counteracting that, right? Yes. A hundred percent. I mean, I remember I, I got into Stanford and I didn't get into Harvard and I was so sad, even though Stanford was the right place for me to go, but Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't even enjoy it because that was how, (laughs) how I was thinking about it. And so I just, I never want to get into that type of a person again. And so um, I just try to be a little more strict with myself even to make myself. uh, Why why not? not? Doesn't it help you? Yeah. Doesn't it help you or does it help you to have that voice in your head that says, why only Stanford? Why the best, uh, one of the best schools in the world, right? The best school for startup entrepreneurs. What, why is it that that voice that says it's not enough isn't, isn't good to have in your head as a driver? I think it's a balance. Um, I, I think life is a balance, you know, and, um, I think if you've, if you go too much to one side, you'll get complacent. If you go too much to the other side, you'll get unnecessarily harsh on yourself or depressed. And I think, you know, making sure that people are healthy and happy uh, and fulfilled and what they're doing is, is very important. And so, um, you know, I found myself when I was really tough on myself to kind of be going a little bit more on the side of never happy. And, um, and I didn't want to be there either. So it's, it's really critical, I think, for everybody to have a way to release a little bit of that stress. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's, it can swing back and forth on a, on a given day or a given week. Um, but if you have some kind of a token that keeps you uh, on, the, on the kind of balance, that's the, the best way to do it. 
Yeah, I, I guess so. I, I feel like it's a, it's a thing that comes up a lot in these interviews. I notice some people are motivated by that, that inner voice of this is not enough. You have to do more. It keeps them working on late night, coming up with new ideas and so on. And other people seem to just have this sense of confidence that everything they do is great. And that fires them up. That makes them just take you know life easier. And, and for some reason, they just figure it out without the stress. I guess there's some moderation there. All right. What's, what's moderation next is key. Uh, I don't know. Sure. You're, look at how you're not moderate. Uh, I mean, you're not, you're, you're growing so much. <laughs> I, this, yeah, the gratitude journal is my way of slightly moderating myself, but yeah, I mean, I, I think we all are the kinds of people at Juni who, who do really push ourselves. And I think we have opportunities to also celebrate like in our all hands every uh, two weeks that we do, we bring up a customer story where somebody just sent in some really positive feedback or a really cool student project that somebody made. And that kind of, that helps us keep our sights on, on what we're doing. Um, but yeah, I think it's a balance, like, especially because it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I, I, I think things like college applications felt more like a sprint, but you know, if we want Juni to become the biggest company in the learning space in the next 10 years, then yeah, we, we do have to be here for the long haul and you That's can burn off pretty quickly if you're pushing yourself too hard. Yeah. The vision is the biggest. Yes. So, but then does that mean that you're going to break out of one-on-one -on -one classes? The one-on-one -on -one is going to augment. It's going to be an addition, but if you want to go bigger then right, that doesn't scale as well. Yeah, I think one-on-one -on -one will always be part of what we do. And uh, to a certain extent, the most ideal um, learning, the most ideal learning format for a lot of students, uh, but there are some students for whom they learn better in small groups or they learn better with other kids or whatever yeah. the case is. And um, we want to enable those experiences as well. So, uh, you know, and for us, it's really to be, yeah, that, that leading brand uh, in this space. All right. The website is junilearning.com. I wish we had juni.com. What does juni mean? Uh, so it was actually a portmanteau of junior and university because mm. we were teaching subjects that weren't um, available in K-12 originally with computer science. And uh, it also apparently means the month of June in German, which is why the domain is unfortunately taken. But uh. one day I will find the, the German company that owns the, the <laughs> domain and, and buy it outright. Yeah. Oh, and they're not even using it. They just redirect to another site. I know. Uh. Oh, I know. All right. Maybe Michael Seiger or someone in the audience is going to know how to get to this. They do use it as their company name, but they don't even use it as their domain. All right. Yeah. If, if anybody knows them, happy to connect. <laughs> Michael Seiger, help us out. All right. Thanks so much for doing, for doing this interview. I'm really excited. I, I'm excited now about the future of education. I felt like, oh, where are we sending our kids? My wife and I have different approaches. I would put my kid into a pod with the right classes, including Juni, including some bigger classes, including some random things, and maybe even some like go at your own pace apps. She's much more into let's get them out in nature, do farm class. I, I get it. I still love that we have this option. And my feeling for my kids is, I think we're going to let, I'm going to let them go into farm class this and do that. And then after they come home, say, let's just take one or two hours of 
education that's much more rigorous, that's much more customized to your interest. Let's explore some of these options. Maybe Juni's a good fit. Maybe it's not. Maybe an app is a good fit. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a combination. Maybe it changes, but let's explore it and add it on in addition to what they're doing at school. And um, I've been especially excited about this space and I, I'm glad to see that more people are doing it. I think a lot of a lot of parents are going to do what I'm doing and some will just say, forget school completely. We're just going to focus on this. Completely. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a really interesting few years, but I'm excited that there's a lot more options for parents to, you know, help their students achieve their best future. All right. It is junilearning.com for anyone who wants to check it out. And I want to thank the two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first, if you have an idea, the way that Vivian did, the way that so many people I've interviewed have, and you want to run it on a website, which you obviously need a website, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy and get it. And number two, when you need email marketing done right, and you don't want to get ripped off later on, you want all the features, go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. Vivian, thanks so much.